Hi, it's the creator, host, and producer of Evermore Poe, Chris Kosach. As you know, our story is based on the real-life account and mostly untold story of Edgar Allan Poe's teen years, for which I spent more than a decade researching as more like 20 years, to be honest. I'd really like to thank you for your overwhelmingly positive response to this tale. Please be sure to follow this podcast so you're one of the first to know when there's an update. And I'll be ever more grateful, see what I did right there, if you'll kindly share my story with your friends. So with no further ado, let's get started. This is Evermore Poe, the turbulent and tragic youth of Edgar Allan Poe. Supper time in the Allen home was always a somber affair. Ma and Aunt Nancy would sit at one end of the formal mahogany dining table going on about society gossip, while at the other end, John Allen sat shoving food into his mouth, occasionally grunting his opinion. In the middle sat Eddie, trying his best to get through yet another meal. When dinner was finally over, Eddie excused himself from the table. But John Allen had other ideas. He summoned his foster son into the study for yet another lecture on duty, responsibility, and practicality. It was always the same. You're not a wee child anymore, Eddie. You're becoming a man, and a man needs a trade. Come work for me at Ellison Allen. We'll make a man out of you yet. It didn't matter how many times Eddie heard it. It was an insult, pure and simple. But Pa, he implored, I want to be a writer. Edgar, how many times must I be saying it? This little hobby of yours is not befitting your caliber. There's no pay. How do you reckon to raise a family as a writer? You do want to have a family one day, don't you, son? John Allen paced from the wall of bookshelves to the file cabinet, rolling a gold coin over in his knuckles in the fluid motion that Eddie always found hypnotic. It was also an excellent focal point to drown out the stale monologue he had heard dozens of times. Writing is not a respectable nor acceptable vocation, son. Your mother and I have gone to great lengths to give you a proper education, the type of upbringing I would only dream of in me youth. For Christ's sake, why am I paying all this tuition then? It's high time you start using your education. Eddie knew his foster father was trying to sound supportive, but somehow it always had the opposite effect. But Pa, he protested, there are many respected writers. Name one. Shakespeare? (sighs) Name one that's alive. Lord Byron. John Allen caught the gold coin in midair and set his eyes directly on Eddie in order to make his point. Wake up, lad. Lord Byron is a wealthy land baron who can afford to sit around on his aristocratic arse all day writing poetry. The man lives in a castle, for God's sake. The rest of the world works for a living, Eddie. I stand firm on this. The sooner you stop diluting yourself with these silly pipe dreams, the better. I hate to break it to you, son, but you are no Lord Byron, and you never will be. Eddie hung his head, and John realized he was being too hard on his would-be son. Aye, my lad, he said. His Scottish brogue came out when he spoke softly. You can't be living on the lowly wages of a writer. No one can. And I'm afraid you're not going to change that. Son, your mother and I love you like our own. I'm simply trying to save you from the hard scupple life I knew growing up in Scotland. 
You're near a man, Eddie, and you best be start acting like one. Papa, I love writing. It's, it's, it's me. If only I had a chance to show someone a publisher, I know my work would get attention. You'd be so proud. Hotchkawist! <sighs> I've had it with you, boy. How many times must I... Please, Pa, at least give me a chance to prove it. John Allen sighed. <sighs> he closed his eyes and pinched the skin between his nose. You really think you're that good? Yes, sir. I know I am. John stared Eddie down as he worked at the boy's sincerity. Right then, I'll have you be delivering to my office your best work by the end of the week. I'll see what I can do. Eddie flew out of his seat to hug his foster father. Oh, Pa, thank you, thank you. I promise you will not regret it. You'll see. I'll make you so proud. Aye, my boy. Pride is a sin, but you're damn near me own blood. And I want what's best for you. But Eddie, after whatever this yields, you will learn a respectable business trade. Now, do we have an agreement? Yes, sir. Eddie knew at that very moment that he was making a deal with the devil, but he had no other choice than to lean in. Everything Ellis and Allen stood for, all the paperwork, ledgers, and contracts, he despised it all. There was nothing creative about it, and worst of all, he feared devolving into the hollow, banal, seemingly soulless man John Allen had become over the years. It wasn't always this way. As a child, Eddie idolized the man he called Pa, following him everywhere from the house to the office to the plantation. The two were inseparable, but in the years following the Allens' ill-fated trip to England and Scotland beyond, Eddie's de facto father became a gray shadow of his former self, stoic, removed, and always concerned about appearances. The man had changed physically, too. Where once John had had an almost regal appearance with a chiseled jaw, an erect posture, a hearty laugh, and a welcome smile, now he always wore a gaunt and negative expression under thinning gray hair, which made him look far older than his 43 years. Moreover, Eddie hated when Pa preached about moral decency, given the fact that on more than one occasion, the man had come home smelling of whiskey and cheap scent. And although he fought his instincts, Eddie couldn't shake the feeling that his foster father was biding his time until his rich bachelor Uncle Galt died, which would ultimately lead to a sizable inheritance. But for Eddie, the worst feeling was that John Allen had quietly and without explanation revoked his lifelong promise to legally adopt him, just as the Mackenzies had done for Eddie's biological little sister Rosalie. On so many nights, Eddie stared at the cracks in the ceiling, agonizing over what he had done that made Pa change his mind. Right, my boy, that settles it then. With some effort, you'll be a respected member of society just like me. Without another word, John Allen turned on his heels and offered a confident grint. As he rounded the corner, Eddie thought about the ultimatum. This would be his very last chance to prove himself to Pa as a writer. Failure was not an option. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening to today's show. Let's address the elephant in the room, shall we? My apologies to every Scott, friend of a Scott, all of Scotland, and 
anyone who's ever heard an authentic Scottish accent. Mine was absolutely atrocious, right up there with Dick Van Dyke's horrible Cockney. My apologies. But it's imperative that you know a little bit about John Allen's background. He was, in fact, a Scottish immigrant. And in my opinion, he was everything a Scot is. He was strong. He was proud. He was pragmatic. He had tons of grit. The man came to the United States with pretty much nothing and built, ultimately, a fortune for himself. This chapter also goes to show the fundamental differences between Eddie and John Allen. Whereas John Allen was strong, formal, and stoic, Eddie, of course, was far more casual, focused on the arts, and creative. It's my theory that the fundamental personality differences between Eddie and John Allen was the beginning of the formation of Poe as we know him. We'll explore more of this very complicated relationship as we get further into our story. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe, follow, and share this story with your friends. I plan on having all of this out by Halloween. So we'll catch you next time on Evermore Poe. Thanks for listening.